Hi everybody, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We are One New Man Ministries. We are an Ephesians 2 ministry, a ministry of reconciliation. And we study the Old Testament and the New Testament together from the point of view of Yeshua HaMashiach, that's Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our salvation. And as Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved, this is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast, for we are what he has made us, created in Yeshua HaMashiach for good works which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So what are we talking about today, Jerry? Our Torah portion begins at Deuteronomy 26 and runs all the way through chapter 28, or chapter 29, verse 9. When you look at the text, the bulk of it is all about blessings and cursings that we find uh, beginning in chapter 27 and running all the way through 28, which is a very long chapter. Um, what I want to zero in on, though, first today is chapter 26, because I think it sets the stage for all of the blessings and cursings and the reasons for the blessings and the cursings. So chapter 26 is Moses' instruction to the people about when they come into the land— that the Lord, your God, is giving you. And that's a, an expression that we see a number of times in the book of Deuteronomy, the land that the Lord, and I'm going to start for the sake of our Jewish listeners, reminding people that uh, when we see that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in our Bibles, that that refers to the unutterable name of God. And in Jewish practice, that word is pronounced either Adonai or is given the, um, not acronym, but, but the substitute name Hashem. And Hashem simply means the name. So if I say Hashem, I'm talking about Adonai or the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that you read in your Bible. So anyway, this phrase, Hashem your God is giving you, the land Hashem your God is giving you, is uh, used a number of times in Deuteronomy. And uh, it is significant because it reinforces and undergirds all of the thinking that the people have about their land, that this is an inheritance that is being given to us. And in a number of places in Deuteronomy, it defines the nature of that giving. In one place, it says it's not because you were the most numerous. In another place, it's not because you were so righteous. Uh, in some places, it talks about don't defile the land that Hashem, your God, is giving you. Uh, you need to be very careful about this land because it's a gift. Think of it when somebody gives you a gift that is, is truly highly prized and how they expect you to treat it, treat it with care, treat it with respect, um, to treat it like it truly matters. So this is undergirding that idea. This land, it's not just any old piece of property. This is the piece of land that Hashem, your God, is giving you. He thought it was special enough to bestow it on you. It is a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we always... Uh, have to keep that, that, that picture in mind as we read this phrase. And it comes up, as I said, a number of times in Deuteronomy. So, Jerry, well, go ahead. So, um, the land is a physical, in the physical world. But in, if, you, if we think of it from the New Testament perspective, the land, the promised land, the land that, that, the Israelites are receiving by grace, by God's grace, by their God's favor, is similar to the 
the land, the grace that we receive when we receive salvation through Yeshua HaMashiach, through our faith, and we are regenerated into a new man. And just as the land, the physical land that they're going to receive, the Israelites, is going to be the place where they will build a temple for the dwelling place of God, it really is symbolic in, as in a New Testament way for how the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our heart. And I think it's a good sort of framework as, you know, we read the Old Testament from a point of view of, you know, Yeshua HaMashiach and the Holy Spirit dwelling in our heart that, you know, the promised land is really that for us believers in Yeshua is our salvation and our Savior. I agree that the land represents spiritual blessings as new covenant followers of Yeshua. Um, not only the, as, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, that you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Messiah, but also ultimately the new heavens and the new earth and eternity with God, the, that is the ultimate fulfillment of the land. Um, in, in a very real sense, the life of following Yeshua is uh, the story of numbers, the story of being in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they are headed to the promised land. In the same way that you and I uh, come out of the bondage of, of the slavery to sin, but we are still on the way to being totally free from sin. And that won't happen until the new heavens and the new earth. But I think it is legitimate to think of the land in both of those ways as the current blessings that we have in Messiah, but their ultimate fulfillment is going to be final deliverance from sin, from the presence and the power of sin when we reach the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate promised land, if I could put it that way. Yeah, could you say that that, that between that those two points you just mentioned, that, that's could that be a sanctification of, of going from one point to the other during our walk here on this earth? I think that is exactly the way that we're called to look at it, that we are people on, on a pilgrimage. Yes. We are making our way to the promised land, and we are growing in holiness that process of sanctification that big theological word that we throw around is the process of as we've said before denying ourselves f taking up our cross following yeshua submitting to the holy spirit's leadership uh recognizing that our destiny according to romans 8 is to be conformed to the image of his son who is perfect in righteousness and holiness and so that's what god is calling us upward to perfect righteousness and holiness which the holy spirit is now in us to begin to produce and so the longer we walk with god if we really are walking with god and serious about our faith in in trusting him and following him then we are growing in holiness we are being more and more sanctified more and more set apart to god for god through god the holy spirit <laughs> Good point. That, thank you for, for bringing that up. So, yes, we are, if you have come to faith in Yeshua, he is doing a work in you to make you more like him. That is the process of sanctification. Back to Deuteronomy 26, then. This is all uh, instruction about what you are to do when you come into the land. And I think it is illuminating to see that the first instructions about what you will do with your material blessing. It's all about when you come into the land and you take possession, you will take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which the harvest is of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Again, there's that phrase again. You'll put it in a basket and you go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. So there is the idea that this is a land, I'm giving you a fruitful land, a good land. You 
take the first part of that and you bring it to me. I'll tell you the place. I'm going to put my name on that place. It's going to be called by my name. You come there where my name is. You're going to find the priest there and you bring it to the priest and you're going to offer it up to me. And this is what you will say. I declare today, this is verse 3 of chapter 26, I declare today to Hashem, the Lord your God, that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. So a declaration, first of all, that I have come into the inheritance. This is what we're talking about, right? I've come into the land that was promised to the fathers that now Hashem, our God, is giving to us. I have come in and this is what I am doing, bringing some of the first fruits. So then the priest takes the basket and then starting in verse five, you have a further declaration. And what the individual Israelite is really doing here is recalling his history. He says, my father was a wandering Aramean, referring to Jacob, uh, whose, you know, the family came out of uh, Aram, what the area we today call Syria, to the north and east of Israel. <clears throat> but my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went into Egypt and sojourned there. That's Jacob. He was few in number, and there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. So that is the family of Jacob growing in Egypt, according to God's promise to Abraham that he would have uh, descendants that were greater than the multitude of stars, right? But while we were there, the Egyptians treated us harshly, humiliated us, and laid hard labor on us. And we cried to the Lord, to Hashem, the God of our fathers. And Hashem heard our voice and saw our affliction and our oppression. Remember, these people here who are speaking are loved because of the fathers. We've read that a number of times already in Deuteronomy. So again, we called out to Hashem, the God of our fathers. We have kept the faith, if you will, right? And Hashem brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great deeds of terror, signs and wonders. He brought us into this place, gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So what he does in bringing his first fruits, his bikurim, is he is declaring his connection to all of these promises through the fathers back to Hashem, the Lord our God, to the land that he promised to give. Behold, now I bring the first fruit of the ground which you, O Lord Hashem, have given me. There it is, a recognition that this is a gift a precious inheritance promised by Hashem, the Lord our God. So that's the end of his declaration. When he finishes declaring... I, I just wanted to say this is such a mirror to the Ephesians 2 passage that we read in the beginning. By grace, we've been saved through faith, and it is the gift of God when... You consider that the word grace means favor, and you think of all of that favor that those Israelites received, you know, starting with Abraham and through Isaac and Jacob and Egypt and Moses and wandering the desert. Now they're standing on the edge of the promised land, and, and you know, they're, they're basically reciting the grace that they have re received through faith in the Lord. And this is the same thing. It is the, the gift of God. You said right. it was the gift of God. And it's the same thing that our salvation is through Yeshua. Now, good point, Lee. And I'm glad you brought that up. And he's always referring to the Passover that I've noticed. And that Passover, going out of Egypt and, and, and being delivered, like you said, like you said before, this this is important because in, in in a real sense, in Yeshua's sense, he's delivered us from sin. The same the same the same scenario, and I just I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Stay on the mic. <clears throat> yeah, and I want to keep clear. Uh, physically, the people are not in the promised land. And these are instructions for at the beginning of 26 when you come into the land. 
which doesn't negate anything that has been said about the, the representation of the gift, uh, just that in terms of the actual ceremony, this is going to take place later than Moses speaking right here. This is when they come into the land. But the point I, I, I want to make here then is, so the, he finishes the declaration and he says, uh, now I bring the first fruit of the ground uh, to you, O Lord, which you have given me. Then he's given specific instructions about what to do next. And I really like this. It says, you shall set it down. What this really is calling for is commitment now. You've brought it, but will you really let it go to God? Good point. Will you really give it up? You shall set it down before Hashem, before the Lord your God. The next thing that he's called to do, it says, your English version says something like worship, but the actual Hebrew word designates a physical uh, position that you take. It's called prostration, laying face down on the ground. And this is an ancient Near East custom of uh, subservience, a, a symbol of subservience. The, the subject bows down, prostrates himself or herself before the king or before any other higher up. And so this is a physical uh, demonstration through my body that I am your servant. We have kind of moved away in a lot of our practice away from these physical demonstrations, but there's something that I personally find powerful uh, in at least kneeling to pray. That there is something that takes me out of my American rugged independence kind of thing that is, 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 is a physical um, feeling that I'm really acknowledging through my body that I am in this servant place, that I am willingly submitting myself to someone greater. So there's that. You set it down. You say, yes, this really belongs to you. You say, yes, you really are greater than me. You'll bow down. But then look at the third thing he's called to do. He says, and you shall rejoice in all the good that Hashem, the Lord your God, has given to you, to your house, you and the Levite and the sojourner who is among you. And we know from, if we go on, that this rejoicing includes, verse 12, when you finish paying all the tithe of your produce in the third year, which is the year of tithing, giving it to the Levite, sojourner, fatherless, and widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I've removed the sacred portion. So that this rejoicing before the Lord includes participating in the joyous meal, in the celebration of the food that you've brought. Now we have shared it. We've fulfilled the commandments uh, and the statutes and the judgments of God, and we are rejoicing. Rejoicing in all the good that God has done for us. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, what I, what I like when I see this, it says, give it to the Levite, the foreign residents, the fatherless, and the widow. God sees who's in need, you know, and, and that's what touches my heart. When, it, when God sees that, hey, well, there's going to be a transfer of, of, of your bounty to the people that need it, and, and he is, God is the one supervising that. And, when I, you know, I'm, sur I'm, I'm in between two fine Messianic Jewish believers. I'm the token Gentile here, but when he sees the foreign resident, he's he the, a foreigner is somebody outside the faith, and God's reaching out to them too. You know what I mean? I, I like that. The foreigner among them is more than just somebody uh, who who's who's living on the land, uh, but it's somebody who is really committed to following the Jewish God as well. It's more than, more than just somebody there. Uh, in, the, in the New Covenant, when we read about God-fearers, remember that term uh, that's used in Acts? And I can't remember if it's used in the Gospels all, but there were God-fearers in the house. These are Gentiles who have recognized 
In much the same way as Rahab did mm -hmm. uh, in the fear of the Lord because of all the blessings she saw in Israel, that these are people who have chosen Israel's God. The uh, Hebrew version uh, translation that I use actually translate this word as a proselyte. Somebody who has adopted the monotheistic religion of, of the Jews. So that who, that, that's who this sojourner is. Like Ruth, she says, your people are my people, your God is my God. She, became, she became a gear, a sojourner uh, in Israel through that process. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. And what would be an alien? So aliens are foreigners who are far away who are truly foreign outside of the commonwealth of Israel, as our Ephesians part talks about, uh, who have not associated themselves with the Jewish faith at all. Uh, these are alien foreign nations. There's another word, and I'm not sure. I think it's Nahar that designates those people. I'll have to check and uh, double-check that. Uh, but they are two distinct groups for sure. The point of this tithe then really is to check the heart because after we go through all of the instruction about the ceremonial aspects of bringing the tithe and what you'll say, what you do for the priest and for all these other people, we get to verse 16. Well, actually, this is at the, before we get to verse 16. The, uh, the next part of that section has to do with another declaration uh, about uh, this, is, this is what I've done. I haven't taken anything that didn't belong to me. I gave you the whole tithe. I took care of these people. Verse 15, in response, I want you, O God, look down from your holy habitation and bless your people Israel in the ground that you've given us as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is just good covenant relation, right? Uh, I did this, you did this. And we're going to see that. And Bob, I'm going to let you take this away in a minute. But verse 16 then says, This day Hashem, the Lord your God, commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. Now that is a pregnant <laughs> phrase because that takes us right back to the Shema in chapter 6. All your heart, all your soul. Your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole being you bring into this. And so this is actually the test of the tithe. Not that you bring the tithe, because we read in the prophets then how they brought the tithes and they brought the offerings, but their heart wasn't in it. Even Yeshua talks about the Pharisees who tithe even the smallest of the herbs, but they were still under condemnation because they had missed the spirit of the law and their heart was not right. So when you are careful to do them with all your heart. That is a strong condition that God puts on that. Amen. When you do this with your whole heart and your whole being, your whole soul, your nafshachat, your nefesh, okay, that you declare the Lord is your God and the Lord will declare that you are his special treasure. Bob, I know this is a big part of your covenant teaching, so I'm going to let you kind of riff on this for a while. Go. <laughs> well, let's go and read about it. It says, And today the Lord has affirmed that you are his special people. He, he promised you, and you are to keep his commands, that he will put you far above the, all the nations of the earth. He has made in praise, fame, and glory, and that you will be a holy people to the Lord your God as he has promised. And, you know, this is the first, this is the first promise that... Uh, that God made to the Israelites when they came to Mount Sinai, if you remember. So what he's doing, I mean, the first promise came just like this. Then he delivered the Ten Commandments and the ceremony. But he's taken them back to the first promise that he made, you know, about, what, 41 years ago. So he's just reaffirming everything that, that um, he has made earlier. The promise that they'll be a holy people? Yes. Yes. And, the, and what is holy again? Set apart. Set apart, consecrated, right? 
Uh, God, of course, has a particular kind of holiness that is unique to him, his sinless perfection, his absolute moral purity. Uh, we are called to be holy as he is holy. So in our consecration, the more we can be consecrated to him, the more we reflect that moral purity. We know from experience and from further teaching that absolute moral purity is not available to us in this life. But as we discussed earlier, we're in the process of sanctification, becoming holified, right? <laughs> becoming more holy, becoming more like Jesus. And in that respect, then, we are finding ourselves more and more set apart to God. Yeah. Lee, you got something there? So I, I just can't help but see the parallel with the, with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 in that, you know, he, so we receive his grace, mm -hmm. we're saved, and through faith, and it is the gift of God, so here's the gift of God, and then what is, what is the gift and the faith? It is in Yeshua and the cross that God has given us his only begotten son whose blood cleanses us from our sins and allows us to have a clear conscience to be in communion with him. And then it's the regeneration into the new man, for we are his workmanship created in Yeshua HaMashiach Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk then in them. So it's not only worshiping God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. It is also this, like you said, prostate, prostrate. prostrate. I keep messing that up. <laughs> See where my mind's at. Anyway, prostrating yourself before the Lord or as the sort of the new covenant version, denying oneself and rejoicing in the Lord and praise and praising in the Lord and the regeneration dedicating ourselves to the good works through the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, this this is the condition of the heart that you brought out. And he wants us to be a holy people unto the Lord thy God mm -hmm. and be built together into a dwelling place for the Lord, which is what Ephesians 2 said, through, through the cross. And through the, the, the cross is the salvation, and that through the salvation that we receive and, and working for the Lord thy God, doing the good works he's performed beforehand for the church, for the big church, not the little church on the corner, for the body of Christ, which is his church. That is what, you know, God's plan is to redeem a people for himself. And this is just a mirror of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Indeed it is. Uh, we, we see the parallels uh, so, so clearly. Um, one of the things that came to my mind in this section about uh, be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul uh, is the teaching that Yeshua has in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also, right? And so the ties are, 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 are all about that heart issue. You know, um, do you recognize that the good that you enjoy is a gift from God? And is your response what it ought to be? Gratitude, thanksgiving, a willingness to follow through and share with others the goodness that you've received. Amen. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If your treasure is in the produce that you just brought, you're going to bring it grudgingly. You may bring it, you may set it down, as it says, <laughs> uh, but not happily. 
or is your treasure God? I'm, I'm reminded of, of uh, Psalm 16. I've been kind of mulling that one over for, for the last few days. And at one point he says, I choose you as my portion. Now, this is King David writing this. He is not a Levite who has been restricted, in a sense, to the Lord is your portion and you won't have an, inheritance. He, you won't have an inheritance. This is David who has a physical inheritance as an Israelite and now also is the inheritor of, of the throne. But he says, I want you, Lord, as my portion. I want you, Lord, as my cup. I want you, Lord, as my chosen inheritance. The lines for me have fallen out in pleasant places if you are my all in all, basically. And that's the heart of the, the, the God lover, if you will. You know, yeah, all this stuff is nice, but you are what I really want. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And so this, this tithe instruction really sets the, the, the tone, I think, for the fact that there are going to be blessings and cursings. And what's interesting is if your heart is not in it, all the threats in the world aren't going to change it. Right? And God knows it. And God sees it. Yeah. So, Lee, you know, maybe uh, without getting into the specifics of all the blessings and cursings as much, but when we get into towards the end of this long recitation, of what the blessings will be and what the curses will be. Uh, and, and let's be clear, the blessings are for following the instructions of the Lord, being obedient. And the cursings are for disobedience. Both of those reveal what's in the heart. And as many times as God warns them, and there's several warnings in here, this is what's going to happen if you don't, this is what's going to happen if you don't, the number of curse verses far outweigh the number of blessing verses because God is really trying to let them know there's serious consequences for not following through on your end of the covenant. So by the time we get to chapter 28, verse 45, he's listed a lot of curses. He says, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of Hashem, the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you, they shall be, the curses, shall be a sign and wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because, again, there it is, you did not serve Hashem, the Lord your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And there's that joyful glad, gladness thing. You know, because of the goodness of the Lord, you'll get up and rejoice because of all the Lord, all the good the Lord has given you back in the tithe chapter. Now here it is. You couldn't follow through with rejoicing in God's goodness. Because you did not serve the Lord, Hashem, your God, with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, you had plenty in the land of plenty. You had plenty in the land overflowing with milk and honey. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom Hashem will send against you. Lee, I know you had a lot of thoughts about that particular passage. Hmm. So, you know, in, if, if you think back to... The, the the blessings and the curse and the Ten Commandments and the commandments, the positive commandments, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Well, just what's what did Jesus say the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and love thy neighbors thyself. And last week we talked a little bit about how loving your neighbors really not saying, oh, that's my neighbor's problem, not my problem, loving your neighbors really extending your heart to your neighbor. So, you know, this the blessings that come from serving God with joyfulness and gladness of heart by reason of the abundance of all things, that's a attitude of gratitude. And, and then he goes on to say, Therefore thou shalt serve thine enemy, so if he said in 45, all these curses come on you because you didn't serve God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. 
So because you didn't have an attitude of gratitude, what happens? You'll serve the enemy whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness, so no food, no water, no clothes, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he has destroyed thee. So, you know, it's this scarcity uh, mentality, this want of all things. So instead of a heart of gratitude for the gift of God, for God's grace and our salvation through God's grace and favor and this condition of the tithing that you brought about, you know, as an expression of gratitude. He's saying if you have an attitude of wanting, like thou shalt not covet thy neighbor, right? Mm -hmm. Thy neighbor's, you know, X, Y, and Z, right? If you have an attitude of wanting, it's going to enslave you. And that's what he's saying. And because of being enslaved by that attitude of wanting and of scarcity if only i had x i'd be happy no that just creates wanting it and being trapped in it and this is really the bondage of sin and you know as human beings and in this world you know we so often covet things we don't have and don't have an attitude of gratitude for the abundance of all things in God's creation around us and that really is the diagnosis and the condition of our heart and God sees it and he's saying that if if that's the diagnosis of our heart there's going to be curses from that wanting yeah yeah, you, you go know, ahead, Bob. You know, I think Lee just had a good point, and, and it's what are you focusing on? And, and you know, I have, fall, I have fallen into this trap, you know. I mean, I, I can tithe, but I still wanted more in my earlier life. And, and, and what's your focus? Is it on God and, and, and serving him and, and doing what he wants you to do? Or is it on yourself and you're looking at maybe lack or you're looking at something else with you? If, if, and it's, a, it's an issue of trust also. If you look towards him and you trust in him, you do, he does what you, you do what you ask him to do, then it all comes out even. But you, it's about the denying of yourself, what Lee said earlier, and putting the faith and your trust in Yeshua in today's life. It's, it works mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. He, really, he really is calling us to surrender our wants, our desires, and 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 to have faith that he will provide that is his name he is adonoi yire god who provides and he said that back when abraham put his only son on well put isaac not his only son but put his son on the altar and god provided so, you know, God is the provider, and we often get stuck in our own efforts, our own using our will, trying to achieve what we want. And, and, you know, that leads to our suffering because God is trying to show us because of his mercy, not because he's punishing us. He's trying to show us because of his love and mercy that that will only lead to suffering and it won't lead to the blessings of and the and the fruits of the spirit that are you know that come from surrendering and loving the lord our god with all our heart and you know in 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 the book of matthew he talks about the the kinds of believers the last one he talks about or or the third one he talks about is the is the believer that um that's concerned and worries about the things of the world. You know, he does not produce mature fruit. And that's what God wants us to do is produce mature fruit for him. And that means like bringing other people into the kingdom, doing the things that he would want you to do. And I think that's uh, a good point you make, Lee. You know, and, and the thing is, is we're all subject to that because, you know, subject to wanting and to if only I had 
hunger, thirst, clothes, you know, wanting, whatever. And then we get yoked by it, right? And, 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 and our desires. So that's why we need Yeshua, our salvation. And we need to be, we need to have faith in his blood that washes our sins away so we can be in good standing with God and have a clear conscience so we can reestablish our communion uh, with God through the Holy Spirit because we are all going to fall short of what is called of us. Perfection. Perfection. If I could maybe look at this two ways. The first is, is through a question that I think we are challenged by Yeshua to ask, what do I treasure? What do I really treasure? And I think that there's many places in my heart that I can see that I treasure something more than I treasure the Lord, and that those are the places that he's calling me to surrender, right? Good point, yes. The other thing that comes to mind, though, is the idea of design, God designed us for the purpose of knowing, loving, and serving him. And when we seek to do something else, then we are operating out of what we were designed for. We are a hammer constantly in search of a nail, if you will. And everything around us is a screw until we live up to or into the design that God's given us, right? I made you to love, serve, and work with me. And until you submit yourself to doing that, you are constantly going to be in want, in a state of wanting, a feeling of lack, right? Scarcity, I think you called it. And, and the worries and anxieties that brings, you know. I didn't mean to interrupt. Sure, no, no, interruption's fine. I do it all the time, and my wife is working on me to <laughs> do it less. But it, it, again, I said I'd, I'd been kind of living in Psalm 16. Listen to this. The end of Psalm 16 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures forevermore. If we are not seeking our joy and pleasure in the presence at the right hand of God, we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking in the wrong place. You know, and, and, and what does that mean? It means we need to be able to have a clear conscience to be able to commune with the Lord. And how do we have a clear conscience? We need to have faith in the blood of Yeshua because we all sin. And if we're not, if we are not on a short leash and not observing when Lee can't, Lee's ego takes over and it's not, you know, I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm walking in my desires, my wants, and we know where that's going to go, these curses that are outlined. Mm -hmm. But if, if we're not keeping ourselves on a short leash of confession and repentance and being cleansed by the blood of Yeshua, we can't stay in communion with the Lord. And then we can't have the Sabbath peace, the peace and the joy that comes only from being in communion with the Lord through the Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. Yes, when we're not led by the Spirit, uh, Rabbi Paul, Saul, said uh, in Galatians 5, If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, or the works of Jerry, or Lee, or Bob, or <laughs> put in your own name out there, 
are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So you might have listened to that list and say, I don't do that. There's a couple in there that I do. And then that kind of final catch-all phrase, and things like these. <laughs> Some, something sticks for sure. And that's what we wind up with when we are doing what you just described, Lee, when, when we uh, don't walk under the direction of the Holy Spirit, uh, when we aren't seeking God, when he isn't our treasure, when we want something more than we want God, then the outcome, the product of that is going to be somewhere in that list. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. It's not against the law about any of these things because they are the product of a good and holy God. Well put, Jerry. Working in us, right? Our Parsha ends. um, Chapter 28 ends with curses. The final part is the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, back to slavery. A journey I promise you should never make again, and there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. That's, you know, you're, you're trying to make some money for yourself as an indentured servant. Nobody will even buy you. That's how bad it's going to be, right? But that's not the end of the Parsha. And it's interesting that verse 20 or chapter 29 starts off with a warning in verse 4, well, beginning in verse 2, you have seen all, this is Moses summoning Israel, you have seen all that Hashem the Lord did before your eyes, what he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, and now here he's going to recount a little bit of history for them. You've seen that. But to this day, Hashem, the Lord, has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes didn't wear out on you. Your sandals didn't wear off your feet. You've not eaten bread. You've not drunk wine or strong drink. That you may know that I am Hashem, the Lord your God. When you came to this place, you fought these two kings. We took their land. We gave it as an inheritance. Verse 9, therefore, and this is the upward call, if you will. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. And so there's the final call that this Parsha brings out. You've, 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 you've heard the blessings, you've heard the cursings, you've heard your history that so far you still haven't had a heart to understand, eyes to see, or ears to hear. I'm calling you once more, though. Keep the words of this covenant and do them, and you will prosper in the land. So it ends on this upward call, but there is the reminder that there's a heart issue as well. And the people, Israel, are God's chosen nation. And they will forever be God's chosen nation. But individual Israelites must choose this day whom they will serve, right? Israelites can choose to follow Hashem, the Lord our God, the God of our fathers. Israelites can choose to serve other gods. The nation will forever be chosen, but individuals still have a choice to make and they and their and the nation is chosen to be a light to the world an example right and the blessings and the curse Mm -hmm. right the curses Mm -hmm. the blessings and the curses so you know with with privilege comes responsibility and there's a there's and consequences yes indeed and and the point is, is that he chose <coughs> Abraham and, the, and then Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, to be a light of the nations, to all nations and all tongues. 
And the way that that plays out is through the line of David, which God says will be forever, kings forever, through Yeshua, who is directly from the line of David, through the apostles, it spreads the word, this word, the word, the word Yeshua, salvation, and the word of the Bible to all nations and all tongues. So we're all created in the image of God. That's what. That's why we have inherent dignity. But as you said in 29.3, but the Lord has not given you a heart to know and eyes to see and ears to hear unto this day. So that's the question. Are we going, each of us, that we have to choose, are we going to have a heart to know, eyes to see and ears to hear that he is the Lord our God, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. 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 And that's that's what he has written on each of our hearts, and that's what he's calling us each to know. So building on what we said earlier, the design that God has made each human being to know and worship and serve him, we just want to ask our listening audience today, do you have a heart to know God? Do you desire to know him? That is part of what the problem is for the Israelites. You don't have a heart to understand. And if you don't yet understand, uh, call upon the Lord. He says, if you seek me, I will be found if you seek me with your whole heart. Are these words from his scripture, are they pleasing to you? Are they inviting to you? Does it sound like a good thing that God is is saying to you that he's offering you uh, salvation? So we want to definitely uh, say that to, to you, that uh, the part of your prayers, uh, if you don't yet know Yeshua, is to ask God to reveal these things, uh, to give you a greater heart for knowledge. And he has committed himself to respond to seeking hearts. Lee, well, I thought you were going to jump over to uh, Isaiah chapter 60, which is our Haftarah portion. Well, I, I, I thought you were going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and I want to leave room for Bob at the end. Uh, so uh, we have a few minutes left. Uh, something you were talking about, Lee, uh, made me think you were going to jump over to, to uh, Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, you were talking about the nation Israel to be a light to all the nations, um, th- and that is God's call. But they are not light, the light in themselves. And this is uh, just such a great chapter, Isaiah chapter 60. Um, it opens with, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This is uh, Hashem, the Lord, speaking to Zion to the redeemed people. Zion is a representative name for the covenant people. Zion is the holy hill where the temple was built. Uh, Zion, uh, glorious things of thee are spoken, uh, is, is a hymn that was written a long time ago about Zion. So Zion is, is commanded here to arise and shine, for her light has come, and the glory of Yahweh, of Yeshua, uh, I'm sorry, not Yeshua, of Hashem, uh, has risen upon you. As followers of Yeshua, what we recognize is what John says about Yeshua in chapter 1 of his gospel. In him, he was the light, and the light was the life of men. So when it says, arise and shine, Zion, for your light has come, that is Yeshua. He has come. Further, it says, the glory of Hashem, the Lord, has risen upon you. John chapter 1 goes on further to state that we beheld him. This is after he, he, the word became flesh is what it says. And we beheld his glory. That word right here, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Yeshua, we beheld, the word became flesh. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then this remarkable passage in John chapter 12, after the people have rejected him and before the last, uh, the details of the last night and then the resurrection the next day, John includes this in chapter 12. He talks about the unbelief of the people, something that's going on back here in Deuteronomy 29. He quotes Isaiah saying, Lord, who believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. He's talking about Isaiah, that this is now being fulfilled in his day with the people around him. They are not believing. A very small number of the Jewish people of his day are becoming his followers. Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. How reminiscent that is of what we just read in Deuteronomy 9. They don't have a heart. They don't have eyes. They don't have ears. And this is what the Lord showed Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year the king Uzziah died and he was in the temple and he saw the glory of the Lord high and lifted up. And he heard this, the, the, the cherubim, the covering angels, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now look what John does with that in chapter 12, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. And here John is talking about Yeshua. That Isaiah in reporting what he saw was seeing the glory of Hashem in Yeshua. Amen. Go ahead. Amen. And, and, and in our uh, Haftor Isaiah 60, uh, it says 16, I'm going to skip from 16 to 18, but it says, Thou shalt also suck the milk of the nations, spoil of the kings, and thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, and I, the Mighty One of Jacob, thy Redeemer. And 18, violence shall no more be heard in the land, desol desolation nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation, Yeshua. Amen. That's capitalized salvation, mm -hmm. but the Hebrew word there, thou shalt call thy walls Yeshua and thy gates praise. Now listen to the comment of this rabbi on this, on salvation, the word there, Yeshua, because affording perfect security. Amen. The walls of Yeshua afford faith in Yeshua as our salvation, that his blood has atoned for our sins and through his atoning once and for all atonement sacrifice that we have right standing with God and are able to commune with God through the Holy Spirit. That is perfect security. Amen. Amen. And Bob, you've got a good closing for us today, I think. Yes, Jerry. I, you know, what, what, uh, what I find intriguing is how God, this was written about 3,500 years ago, by the way, and how God transcends times and generations to put his word out for us so that we can take it in. And, and since this was written, of course, he has sent his, his son, Yeshua, Jesus, he sent his son, Yeshua, Jesus, for us. And to our listeners, if, if this message has touched you, we just, we just want you to say a prayer. And this prayer consists of two, three things, two acknowledgments and an invitation. And if you would like to bow your head with me as we say this prayer, we will, we will start. Father, I, I have not acknowledged you in the way that I should have. I've lived a life not pleasing to you. But I acknowledge you now, Lord, that that your son, Yeshua, Jesus, died in place of me, a substitutionary death that I should have had that he took for me. And the invitation is this. I invite you, Lord, to come into my life. Live within me. Live your plan and your, your salvation plan within me and your plan within me. Father, thank you for all the things you've done. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 
If you said this prayer, please shoot us a message on either Facebook or our website and let us know that, that you have said that prayer and that we've reached you and, and, we, and, and you can acknowledge us. But I would like to leave one verse f- for you, and it's this. It's Isaiah 48, 17, and it, set, and it states, This is what the Lord says, Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you and directs you in the way you should go. Thank you, Jerry, and uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Well, we just have a few seconds to say goodbye. Uh, Our Facebook page is One New Man Ministries International, and we invite you to listen to this podcast and share it with your friends on all your favorite streaming platforms at One New Man Ministries. Thank you. God bless you. We'll see you next week.